Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining in today. This is uh, going to be a wonderful program. We're going to talk about enzymes. And uh, as you know, we're on every Sunday morning from 7 to 10, talking about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. And um, as always, I want to let you know that as we talk about these kind of topics, make sure that you realize we are just here to inform and educate and entertain, and we're not here to diagnose or treat or prescribe. Uh, please study more on the topic at hand, uh, grab a book, a magazine, uh, listen to programs such as these, or go on the internet and find the information that you need. It is uh, definitely very powerful stuff as we talk about things every week, and um we have done this since July 9th of the year 2000. So we almost got six years in the can coming up next month. And uh, we'll actually be show number 300. I'm excited about that. It means that we have really paved the way in many ways um, for you and myself too. Uh, to become so much more educated. And I'm just glad you're with us. Now, as I just mentioned, we're going to talk about enzymes today. And Torn Buckets is with me. Torn Buckus has complemented a sophisticated traditional education with over nine years of solid nutraceutical experience. At the undergraduate level, he diligently worked to earn two degrees, a Bachelor of Arts in German, which he needs, of course, right now with the World Cup soccer going on. He needs to know a little German and also a Bachelor of Business Administration and Marketing. Upon the completion of this work, Ton immediately began working on a master's degree in international business management, which he obtained from the prestigious Thunderbird, formerly known as the American Graduate School of International Management, in Glendale, Arizona. In the spring of 1997, Ton began working as a region regional sales manager for a leading supplement manufacturer. Maintaining a 12-state territory, Ton commenced the foundation of his career. His motivation to make a positive impact on the world was nurtures, nurtured by his introduction to proteolytic enzymes. He was astounded by their ability to benefit health, and through this miracle, he had found his calling. Confirmation of this calling came with a flood of testimonials from hundreds of customers. Astounded by the impact enzymes had on people's health, he applied it to his own life and to those close to him. He then began to realize the passion he had for helping others. Driving to make the world a better place, Ton intensified his endeavor in therapeutic enzymes. He received personal training from industry leaders, all the while reading a wealth and written book and, and written work. Even today, as he continues forward, Ton is constantly working to improve his product knowledge base. Product knowledge, however, was not his only concern. From a managerial perspective, Ton could not ignore the importance of business. Balance would have to be the key to his success. Thus, he approached his career with unprecedented concern for a harmony between the world of knowledge and the world of business. Given this distinctive approach, Ton has been able to compile an impressive list of skills in many fundamental areas. All of this he has been able to apply through an unending devotion to the company Generation Plus. He has also done numerous radio shows and makes appearances in local health food stores two or three weekends a month. He has also done many staff trainings and has a wide range of enzyme knowledge with the ability to explain them to virtually anyone. Now, if you want to reach Ton, you can call 877-996-4865, 877-996-4865, and then go to extension one zero three. You can also go to the website and go to G plus 
dot info g plus dot info Torn Bacchus, thanks so much for being with me. You're in Arizona. It's only uh, 6.13 for you in the morning, so thanks for getting up early with us. No problem. It is my pleasure to be here today. Well, thank you. And and uh, likewise, I, I can tell that uh, what we're going to discuss today, it's going to be um, it's going to be eye opening for a lot of people to see what enzymes can do and the misunderstanding there is about enzymes. Can you kind of give us a general rundown? What are enzymes, Ton? Enzyme enzymes are basically uh, a very special type of protein. Uh, so. Fundamentally and biologically, uh, we're talking about proteins. I refer to them as biocatalysts. They are actually responsible for uh, every biochemical reaction that occurs in in the body. Yeah. And without them, and without them, life simply could not exist. Which is one of the reasons I think they are so fundamentally important. Um, so I refer to them as biocatalysts. Mm. Bio, which simply is an abbreviation, an abbreviation or an abbreviated form of the word biology, uh, meaning from something living. So they're, they're always coming from something living. Mm-hmm. And uh, the word catalyst is really the key portion of this. And uh, a catalyst, by definition, is any substance that speeds up the rate of a chemical reaction, but itself is not affected once the reaction is complete. Mm. So they need things... They need to, uh, basically they need to join with things or they need to utilize other things like minerals or coenzymes to create or cause a chemical reaction to occur in the body. And after that chemical reaction takes place, they themselves are, are not changed so that they can go and repeat those same chemical reactions over and over and over for the entire life of the living you know, the, I refer to the, the living protein. Right. So as long as you have enzymes, they keep uh, they keep doing what they're doing. Uh, they uh, can they die? Uh, they keep working at things. Uh, how do they get nourished? I mean, do they die or do they uh, do they stay alive? They they actually have a they actually have a really short lifespan. Um, do, do you know that we have a disturbance on the line, Tom? We do. We do. So our, our enzymes, uh, they are alive, alive. Can enzymes die also, or will they keep working, 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 working um, till kingdom come? They, we, know, uh, we know that they have a lifespan, and once they enter the human body, most enzymes will remain active for six to eight hours. So it's a short lifespan. I see. It's a short lifespan, and, and that is why... I mean, that's why it's important to, it's important to, when when using enzymes for dietary purposes it's important to, to to use them repeatedly over time and to introduce them to the body uh, really introduce them to the body three times during a, a 24-hour period if you want to maintain a consistent level of enzyme activity in the body I see I see uh-huh now, we have enzymes for uh, digestion, but we also have enzymes that have total different functions. Two different uses, two main uses for enzymes. The first one, as you mentioned, is digestion. Digestive enzymes, is, I think that's obviously the category that most people or all people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Digestive enzymes are enzymes that um, you introduce to your body because they break down proteins, carbohydrates, and fat so that 
the body has a more easy ability to utilize the nutrients out of the food that you're that people would eat. Right. So the first category would be the digestive enzyme category, mm-hmm. and the second category, which is really the category that fuels my passion about enzymes, that category is referred to as a, as a systemic enzyme. And systemic enzymes are they're a classification of enzymes that provide a benefit to the body after uh, the enzymes get through the stomach and through the intestine and into the bloodstream. So they're providing a benefit not with digestion, but after the digestive process would have occurred, they're providing a benefit to the entire body because they're able to get into the bloodstream. Hmm. And the range of benefit for that category is nearly an infinite range. Hmm. It's, it's amazing. The many, really the many things that enzymes can do to support the body after they get into the bloodstream. Now, when you talk about uh, the the first ones, the digestive enzymes, um, actually, let me go back one more step. You 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 say enzymes are proteins, and and that could be confusing for the listeners because they think that proteins are something that builds muscles, makes them strong, nourishes the cells. What what is what is the difference between proteins as we hear about it all the time in meats and protein powders and soybeans and and the digest and the enzymes the proteins that you're talking about? Well, I think uh, I mean I, I think a protein is just a it's just a term to describe a, a chain of things that are molecules that would be connected in a certain pattern or in a and the fact that they have a similar pattern that. Uh, the fact that the way the molecules are connected in a similar pattern allows science to identify them as proteins. Okay. That's the commonality that they share. But, uh, again, the thing that really separates them from the proteins that people would would take to build muscles or provide fuel for the body yeah. is, is the fact that they are, and there's not really a better term for it, I don't think, but they're biologically active. They're you, you you think of them in terms of living, they're not really living organisms, but they function in, in a capacity that you could compare to a living organism. Yeah. And that's really fundamentally where they where they differ from, you know, the protein that somebody would eat to, to enhance their diet. Mm-hmm. Now, when you take a, um, a mineral such as magnesium, I've brought it up several times on this program, that magnesium has a phenomenal... Uh, function in the body as a mineral because it is um, it is directly responsible for the functioning of more than three to four hundred different enzymes in the body. And I tell people there are enzymes in our mouth, in our throat, in our stomach, in our muscles, in our pancreas, in our liver, in our heart. Uh, there are enzymes everywhere, and more than four hundred or more than three to four hundred of those enzymes depend on magnesium. Now, does that make magnesium an enzyme? No, that's we fall back to the definition of what an enzyme is to answer the question. Enzymes are, uh, as, a, as I said, a, a biocatalyst, but they're a catalyst. They can't do anything in the body by themselves. They need something else to perform the functions that they perform in the body. Right. So you join minerals often, and it, often it is a mineral. And magnesium isn't unique in its ability to assist 300 or 400 different enzymes in the body. Zinc is another mineral that will assist three, at least 300 different enzymes in the body. Wow. And so <clears throat> what happens, again, the, the term, the general, the generic term for anything that the enzyme would combine with or lock into 
that generic term is, uh, is uh, by, by science, we would refer to that as a substrate. Mm-hmm. But the general public we often hears the term coenzyme. And in the dietary supplement industry, it's, it's always referred to as a coenzyme. And you have coenzyme Q10 or coenzyme A, but it's always referred to as a coenzyme. And mm-hmm. that, that's the thing that when, when the enzyme really locks into, uh, say, the mineral magnesium, yeah. it's then allowed to perform a specific function in the body. And after that function is performed, the magnesium is what is altered or changed. And the enzyme then releases from the substrate or the coenzyme unchanged and is allowed to return to the body to, to perform that same or similar task through the life of the enzyme. Right. So in a way, enzymes makes things work better and faster in your body. Right, correct. Yeah, and I actually forgot to mention that, but as a catalyst it does, it speeds up chemical reactions in the body. So everything that would normally and naturally occur in the body could occur basically at a faster rate by introducing systemic or enzymes that get into the bloodstream. By introducing enzymes that get into the bloodstream, the things that would occur in the body naturally are allowed to occur much faster through the introduction of, of enzymes that are taken orally as vitamin supplements. Right. And a great example of that would be would simply be the healing process. And we can get into this in more detail later, but the healing process, for example, if you if you've ever watched a, a child recover from a broken in, a broken bone or an injury, they, they don't seem to stay hurt as long. They seem to recover a lot faster. And uh, the fact that a, a six year old or a seven year old might break his or her arm isn't as significant to the six or seven year old as it would be to somebody who is much older in life. Yeah. As people enter their late twenties, early thirties, their bodies begin to slow down. They produce less. They start. The body begins to produce less of everything. Less, uh, less hormones. Less stomach acid. Less, less enzymes. So, you know, throughout life, your body just naturally begins to slow down. And since the body's enzyme production also begins to slow down, the the body itself for example, doesn't heal as quickly. Yeah. If, if an older person falls or breaks a hip, for example, it's a pretty dramatic experience for the older person because the, re- the recovery is a lot, takes a lot longer and it's a lot, lot harder for, the, for, the, for that person to, to get through the injury. And supplementing with enzymes, again, is, uh, as biological catalysts that speed up natural processes in the body. Yeah. You can, you can literally speed up the healing process because mm-hmm. you're supporting the body through its normal and natural mechanisms to achieve, you know, the result that the body was, is trying to do naturally but at a faster rate. Right. So that's where you see a difference between digestive enzymes that help to make the nutrients in the food quicker absorbable by the body and, and separate it from the fibers and the waste that needs to go out of the system. And on the other hand, once it comes, once the, once it goes into the bloodstream, then it will go to different organs and parts of the body where a different kind of, uh, where these nutrients are going to have to be used that have been taken out of the food first that are now going to be used in order to speed up, uh, functions inside the body. Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. And if it, we'll get it, we can get into this a little bit too. The difference between the digestive enzyme and the systemic enzyme, or the enzyme that's providing a benefit in the body, yeah. may occur in two different ways. Bromelain, we'll pick one enzyme at random. But bromelain, for example, is a particular type of enzyme that 
It comes from a pineapple. It's, it's an enzyme that is very commonly used as a digestive aid, or maybe maybe your listener base would know papaya is also the uh, papain would papain. be an enzyme from papaya. That very common for digestive aids. Yeah. These two enzymes are also used systemically. They're used in products that people can take orally to support the the, the normal and natural processes of the body. But the key, the key differences would be the strength of the enzymes, if you will, um, that, that would be used systemically. They'd be much, 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 much stronger than the enzymes that are used in digestion. Right. So one of the key differences between the digestive aid and the systemic enzyme, again, is just the strength of the enzyme. If the same enzyme is used for digestive purposes, there's no need for it to be nearly as strong as the enzyme that's going to get into the bloodstream uh-huh. to help the body. And then the other the other difference is sim- there are there are simply enzymes or types of enzymes that are used systemically that aren't aren't used ever in digestion uh-huh. and uh, for, you know, a lot of that honestly has to do I think with cost and there's a few enzymes that are uh, really really super strong that uh, honestly wouldn't wouldn't be needed to aid in digestion but those are the two key differences one would be the enzyme strength and the other difference would be the fact that there's actually a few enzymes that are used for systemic purposes that are so strong, there's just no real necessity to put them into a digestive supplement. Right. Okay. Well, I think that is uh, that is really good, and I I, I do want to talk with you so much more as we come back. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go listen to the news for just a moment uh, because I want to find out from you indeed where do all these enzymes come from, and how do they actually make it through the, how do you call it, how do they make it through the digestive system themselves as they do their work? We will be right back. We are discussing digestive enzymes and enzymes in general and digestive enzymes and then systemic enzymes. And there is a difference. There's a big difference and uh, what they can do in our body and how you take them and when they start working, etc., etc. Ton, uh, thanks very much for being with us. I think we got a telephone problem. Uh, the cracking on the line uh, worked out. I think we're much more clear right now, aren't we? We absolutely should be. Yeah, you sound uh, peachy on the other side. So that's great. Now, uh, as we were talking about uh, the the enzymes, you mentioned briefly digestive enzymes, systemic enzymes, and how they they do the function in the body. Now, where do they come from, the enzymes? There's uh, another great question. There's three different, uh, really three main sources for enzymes. The first source was really kind of how the world found out about uh, systemic enzymes, and that's those are animal-based enzymes. Okay. The body produces enzymes naturally. The pancreas is the organ that is really the factory that manufactures all of the enzymes that the body uses uh-huh. naturally. So if you see an enzyme, an, if you see an enzyme in a dietary supplement that comes from uh, an animal, it's it's always coming from a pancreas. It's usually a, a pig or a cow. Uh, are the two main sources for animal-based enzymes. The, those types of enzymes, and there's not many on the market. They're either the, the three main ones are trypsin, chymotrypsin, and pancreatin. Mm-hmm. You'll see pancreatin in use a, as a digestive aid. You'll also see it in use systemically. The last two, trypsin, chymotrypsin, you only see on the on the systemic side, the enzyme side, where again that 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 is effective because it gets into the bloodstream and supports the body. 
So animal-based enzymes is one is one category or one type of, of enzyme, one source of enzyme. And so the pancreas from the animal produces three different kinds of enzymes, pancreatin, trypsin, and camotrypsin. That's correct. Okay. All right. Then uh, there's a whole list of enzymes that are produced by um, by plants or or vegetables, fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Though that's your again, you're like for example, that's the bromelain and the papain. For example, uh, papain's from papaya, bromelain's from pineapple. Interestingly or oddly enough, it's not it's not usually the fruit. If somebody wants uh, a source of active, highly active or highly beneficial enzymes from a pineapple, they're going to the green stem, uh, the stem of the of the fruit versus the actual fruit itself. Although the people who juice. Are you know are are using the fruit and those those fruits are also, do also contain the enzymes but for uh, commercial purposes the highest concentration is coming out of the stem which is an, an odd coincidence I guess mm-hmm. so we have the fruit we have fruit vegetables plants as one source we have animals as as another source and the other source was um, discovered really therapeutically it, the other source is my, uh, microorganisms actually bacteria uh-huh. produce enzymes. And uh, in nature, the microorganisms can do some um, amazing things. Uh, one common, and if we have time, I can tell a couple of stories, but one, one yeah. common source for an enzyme used in nature that comes from a bacteria or a microorganism is the enzyme serapeptase, and a lot of people are becoming more familiar with serapeptase. Right. But in nature, people also have little microorganisms or bacteria that live in our intestine. That's why people would buy a probiotic product and acidophilus, lactobacillus, some of those types of things. They're actually microorganisms that live in, in our intestine and other animals like silkworms have bacteria that live in their intestine. Uh-huh. And in, in nature, as the microorganism lives in the intestine of the silkworm, it actually produces as a byproduct of its existence just by living, it's producing this, secreting it, and it's the enzyme serapeptase. Yeah. Now, the silkworm then uses that particular enzyme when it needs to escape from its cocoon. It regurgitates or spits this serapeptase enzyme up. And this it's a highly active enzyme that breaks down proteins. And it, it then is allowed to interact with the fibers of the cocoon and it dissolves them so the moth is able to the silkworm, as it turns into a moth, is able to get out of the cocoon. Right. Which is pretty interesting. I think it's interesting. Uh, very fascinating. So uh, microorganisms uh, is really the third category, and that was the most recent category. But most recent, to put it in perspective, was uh, initially discovered and, and studied therapeutically in the early 1970s in Germany. So it's still the newest category of enzymes that we know of is still 30 years old. Yes. Huh. Wow, that is, uh, I, I like that. That is uh, just fascinating. Now, we as individuals, um, as we take these enzymes, they start doing something in our system. Now, first, let's say you, you mentioned systemic enzymes, and then we'll talk about digestive enzymes. But let's say you take the systemic enzyme in a capsule or in a tablet form. How does it survive? I mean, does it need to survive the stomach or does it open up in the stomach part way, but then not be used and then go through the intestines, goes in the bloodstream, and then start to work? Or is it, uh, how, how exactly does it go? I mean, you have digestive enzymes that obviously start doing things in your stomach and in your small intestine primarily. 
Correct. Right? Then, of course, we have enzymes in, in the liver. Uh, what, is, what kind of enzyme is, is that? And, and then on top of that, uh, so I, I, I just kind of want to know how systemic enzymes make it through the stomach. Well, it, it depends entirely on uh, the type of enzyme it is. And we'll have to talk about the pH scale shortly to really have a good grasp okay. of, of that. Um, different types of enzymes are effective in different pH ranges. And the pH, for those people out there mm-hmm. that aren't familiar with the pH scale, uh, it's a scale that measures both acidity and alkalinity, which is the opposite of acid. And when it's applied, well, the scale itself starts at, physically starts at zero, which is extremely active, and it goes all the way up to 14. And the middle of the scale, which is seven, from zero to 14, the middle being seven, that's considered neutral. Anything below seven on the pH scale is, is acidic. Anything above seven becomes alkaline. And the, the term is, the term that I refer to is optimally effective. It, enzymes, there's a specific range on that scale where enzymes are optimally effective. It doesn't mean that they're completely dead or inert when they're outside of their effective range. It just means that their ability to be active and to function in the body becomes reduced dramatically as they get outside of their the, that, that range that they're active in. And to answer your question, the the enzymes, another key concept to keep in mind is that enzymes can't do anything uh, unless they're introduced to something that that they would have an ability to to interact with. Right. So if you're taking a digestive enzyme, you take it with or around a meal so that as soon as it hits your stomach, it has proteins, carbohydrates, and fats to interact with. Yes. If you take a systemic enzyme or you want to take or if you want to take it for, for systemic purposes to support the normal and natural processes of the body, it's always recommended that you take those types of enzymes on an empty stomach. And if you do that, then, of course, the enzymes don't have anything to interact with right. in the stomach or in the intestine. And it really allows for a, a free passage, if you will, through the intestine and into the bloodstream. I see. So when you take them really determines when they become beneficial to the body. If you take them with food, they're going to become beneficial to the body as soon as they interact with the food. Right. And if you take them on an empty stomach, they become beneficial to the body when they um, when they get into the bloodstream and have proteins, carbohydrates, or fats in the body to interact with. I see. Um, That's fascinating. So the, Caller, good morning. Your name, please, and how can we help you? Uh, this is morphine, not the drug scene. <laughs> Just call me more for short because I'm going to change it in hip-hop. All yeah, right, Daniel. Good yeah, morning. Just a play on words, because morph means to change. If you morph something, and it shows how squeaky clean a show this was. I guess last week couldn't remember the, the poppy produces. The question about uh, enzymes is that I was reading a book by Gladys Caldwell called Fluoridation and Truth Decay, and she claims in this book that fluoridation fluoride is, quote, an enzyme poison, and since you say enzymes have lifespans, uh, I was wondering uh, if uh, this makes sense to you, that fluoridation uh, movement, such as we have in Bozeman, but not all cities, has uh, been slowly poisoning our enzyme supply. Huh. 
And you said that without enzymes, the body can still function with its normal mechanisms, but they go slower. That's really going fast, like Silicon Valley area or Washington, Florida, their area there. Are they thinking faster? Do you think faster with enzymes coursing through your body? Are you, so you're saying, do you think faster when you put fluoride in your body? No, no, that fluoride is supposed to be an enzyme poison. So exactly, it slows down the enzymes and cuts them off. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Ton, you know, have you heard about, about that? Fluoridation <laughs> uh, and enzyme poison. It, it's an interesting point, and uh, I think there's probably a lot of validity to the point. And enzymes, it, enzymes introduced to the wrong environment will reduce the ability of the enzymes to be effective. And, uh, for example, when you cook your food, the heat then kills the enzymes, basically, or makes the enzymes ineffective or inert. Uh, fluoride is, fluoride, chlorine, these are, these are things that, you know, that are designed to basically kill bacteria, kill organisms. They're, they're, they're in products that we use. They're in water that we drink because they reduce bacteria. They kill other living organisms. And certainly those are substances that would provide uh, or help produce an environment that would make it extremely difficult for enzymes to be effective. And uh, the other point I would make is that with, without them, again, life, life simply could not exist. So it's a pretty heavy concept to, to really try to think about. But I, I, I agree with the book that the caller has read. Yeah, well, yeah, you could test this out by the cities uh, that use fluoride may uh, be slower moving than the cities that uh, <laughs> don't use fluoride. But because uh, there's so many factors you'd have to take into account, but it might be an interesting uh, test. Yeah. All right. Well, that's just my question. I'll. Uh, I'll well, thank you, Daniel. Yep. Bye bye. Have a good Sunday. Bye bye. Now, uh, Ton, this was uh, this is good stuff. The uh, the explanation here of the different enzymes and how they work in a different pH environment. And so when you take something like a serapeptase and other systemic enzymes, it is best to take those away from food so they make it easily through the stomach uh, because that is probably too acidic for them at that point uh, to do anything. And then they just work their way through until they get where they need to be and then they will do their job. Yeah, the answer, the answer, we touched on about, uh, about half of the answer. The rest of the answer has a lot to do with, a lot more to do with the pH scale. Yeah. Uh, and I'll briefly, certain enzymes are effective, optimally effective, or more effective in a much broader pH range. Okay. Traditionally, the animal-based enzymes have, have been known to be effective in a very small or very tight pH range. And if, if you wanted to, uh, look at uh, the pH scale to determine where those animal-based enzymes would be most effective. On the pH scale, it would be from seven, which is neutral, to eight. Wow! For the listeners that for the listeners that aren't familiar with body pH, it's it's not the same throughout the entire body. The stomach, an empty stomach, is known to be around three. As you introduce food to the stomach, of course, the acidity is reduced as the food takes up basically space in the stomach. Uh, a full stomach is, is usually closer to a pH of 5. The intestine is usually closer to a pH of 6.4, so it's, it's moving 
less and less acidic as 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 the food travels down the body and then the bloodstream is around 7.4 so if you can get an animal based enzyme into the bloodstream it can be very effective i see uh huh but the uh the vegetable source enzymes and some of the bacteria based enzymes are are optimally effective in a much wider pH range uh an animal based enzyme might be destroyed if it was introduced to the stomach acid without some protection that's only really only true for animal based enzymes it's not true for the other types of enzymes mm-hmm. so the animal based enzymes would need some protection and the, the term for the protection that these animal based enzymes get uh at at a commercial level is the term is enteric coating an enteric coat if you've heard of that term yes uh it's spelled e n t e r i c enteric coating uh-huh. and that's simply a coating that will not break down in an acidic environment by design it will only break down when it hits the right pH or when it when it hits the right pH level which begins around 6 so as if if you put this coating on on an enzyme an animal based enzyme and you put the enzyme into the stomach it's it's protected it it has armor that pushes that allows the enzyme to pass through the stomach but as it gets into the intestine the uh, the acidity level is reduced as it gets closer and closer to the to the lower intestine yeah and the coating begins to wear off, and that, uh-huh. that's what protects animal-based enzymes. But we know that non-animal-based enzymes, like uh, the serapeptase or or the bromelain or the pain, those those types of things, they don't they don't need that same coating to be uh, effective. They're a lot more they're more stable in a much broader pH range. Yeah, yeah, huh? So that is really good. Now I do know that uh, your company, Generation Plus works quite a bit with um, with um, plant enzymes. Yeah, that's correct. We're a big fan of plant enzymes because, in, in my opinion, they're more stable and they're, they're more effective in a wider pH range. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to maximize the benefit that somebody could receive from our product, so we, yeah. we stay away from the animal-based enzymes. Now, is there a specific reason why people definitely do want to take animal Enzymes, animal-based enzymes. We to to understand that that we'd have to have a little bit of a discussion about the history of enzymes, but we can we can dig into that subject as deeply or as shallow as you as you want. But to answer the question, enzyme therapy started with um, with animal-based enzymes. Yeah, and uh, if you recall. The, the third category of enzymes that we talked about, the microorganisms that produce enzymes, right. they were discovered in, um, really discovered therapeutically in the 1970s. Yeah. The first, the first enzyme book that I'm aware of was written in 1911. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's, there's about 60 years between when enzymes were really first studied, studied uh, you know, for therapeutic benefits, yeah. And there's literally about 60 years between when their first study for therapeutic benefits to when we realized that that there were there were there were enzymes that came from a whole different classification. So b- because they started with animal-based enzymes and because people were were seeing benefits therapeutically with animal-based enzymes mm-hmm. and 
because the body naturally produces the enzymes that, that are used in digestion, no one thought to look outside of animal-based enzymes. Like, I, I guess it's the, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it theory. Right. So nobody thought to look outside of animal-based enzymes for a, mm-hmm. for a long time. So yeah. the, the people who, who have been involved with enzymes or read a large volume of enzyme research that's out there, they're going to read about animal-based enzymes simply because that was the only thing that was available for about 60, well, not 60 years, but for a long time. Well, what we're going to do is I want to hear indeed the whole story about that because I know it is absolutely fascinating to hear about that history and how the discoveries came about. Stay tuned because we'll be back after the news. Ton, I really appreciate you with us in Phoenix because you're an actually now earlier than we are. So uh, thanks for getting up so early. Uh, again, it's, it's fun and it's my pleasure. Well, thank you. And uh, as we were talking about um, these enzymes, maybe it is it is kind of nice to uh, to after you explain some of the digestive and the and the, the the systemic enzymes. They're really, as you mentioned at the end of the last hour, there is a long history of working with enzymes going back about a hundred years. And and can you run us a little bit through the history of what happened? How did they discover these enzymes? And what how how has it grown from there? Absolutely, and uh, the, it, it all it all really started with uh, a Scottish embryologist, a, a, a doctor, a scientist, if you will, named Doctor John Beard, and he he was a scientist who was fascinated with observing life, and he 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 started to recognize uh, the uh, his passion was cancer, however, but he, he started to recognize how cancer forms within a living organism and why it forms within a living organism. And as part of that research, he proposed in 1906 that pancreatic, again, it's, it's, and because he was an observer of life, um, he observed that, that pancreatic enzymes, enzymes produced by the body or, or, or by the pancreas of, of a living creature represent the body's main defense against cancer. Hmm. So his fascination was again with was with observing life and and understanding really cancer. And in 1911, so in 1906, he identifies that you know that, that pancreatic enzymes are, are one of the body's primary defenses against against cancer, mm-hmm. according to his observations. And then in 1911, I mentioned this in the first hour, but in 1911, he actually published a book uh, called "The Enzyme Therapy of Cancer." So he he really fathered the whole, really the the whole process of using enzymes or even identifying or understanding that they can they they can provide a benefit to the body. And through his observation, it was it was pancreatic enzymes or enzymes produced by animals again that uh that that w- was the origin of of these thoughts uh-huh. or these observations. Now, since you, I, I want to jump on here for a second. Um, when people get pancreatic cancer, they usually say that's a fast one. That doesn't, uh, you know, usually uh, you don't survive very long. I mean, prostate cancer takes quite a while. It can live in us for over 15 years. Uh, so you have plenty of time to work on that one. But pancreatic cancer, so when you say that the, that the pancreatic enzymes are so important in helping the body to fight cancers, if you get cancer of the pancreas, is that one of the reasons why it goes so fast? Well, people uh, pass on, pass away so quickly. 
I would I would say that it absolutely is. The pancreatic cancer is shutting down the the factory in the body that produces the body's defense against cancer. Yeah. So it, it it's definitely uh I mean it's, it's obviously definitely a, a factor. Yeah. Uh huh. So Dr. John Beard. All yes, right. Doctor Doctor John Beard. So to continue with that whole that whole thought, it's he he was the only person and he he was all by himself throughout his entire life. He actually he died in nineteen twenty three and mm-hmm. then the world was subjected to uh to something that became known as World War Two. Yes. And the focus of the world was definitely taken away from enzyme therapy. And uh that as you know, World War Two ran from uh I wanna say nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five, I believe. Mm-hmm. So the, the, after the after the war ended, um, science began again to look at 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 enzyme therapy, and uh, a couple key people began to pick up Dr. Beard's work again and continue to work with it and to move enzymes forward. Uh, Dr. Beard he the, he observed the uh, he observed enzymes and he observed what what they would could do to support the body and to defend the body, but he he didn't find any way to stabilize them. Dr. Beard's work wouldn't allow us to use enzymes commercially because uh, he, he, had, he hadn't identified any way to, to allow them to live for any real length of time or, or any, any, he couldn't produce results that, that could be repeated scientifically because he had no way to stabilize enzymes. Right. But in the 1940s and then in the early 1950s, that's when two, the two people, Dr. Wolf and Dr. Benitez, really took Beard's work to the next level and um, found, found a way to stabilize enzymes mm-hmm. and could produce consistent results over time. And then they partnered with a, a German pharmaceutical company, and uh, we had the, the first systemic enzyme product in the world in 1958. And it's important to me, again, simply because enzymes have been around for that long. They've been used commercially, pharmaceutically. They've been used by doctors throughout Europe uh, since 1958. And uh, as we talk about the things that enzymes can do, we know that they, we, you know, we know that they can do some of those things simply because they've been used for so many different things for decades now. Yeah. Now, uh, do, do doctors still, uh, doctors and hospitals still work a lot with enzymes these days? They they absolutely do, and the U.S. is starting to the U.S. is even starting to use enzymes medically, which I, I laugh about kind of. But uh, Europe absolutely, serapeptase, which I've referred to a couple times, yeah, it, it gets used for it gets used for forty, fifty different things in Europe, uh, different types of of problems that are are common problems, uh, inflammation, arthritis problems, sports injury problems, uh, circulatory health related. Issues, um, helping to remove plaque off the arterial wall, helping to dissolve a blood clot, for example. These these are things that the U.S. has. Some of these things are things that the U.S. medical system hasn't been able to really find a solution for yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go to the doctor now because you have a blood clot, for example, you're probably going to get uh, a blood thinner, a Coumadin, or you know, a warfarin-based blood thinner. Yes. It doesn't prevent the clot. It uh-huh. doesn't do anything to resolve the clot. That's right. It just keeps the body from getting more clots. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the U.S. now, they've actually introduced a, uh, to some and some limited capacity uh, oral enzymes, uh, injectable enzymes that 
are, are producing some results that Europe has been aware of, you know, literally for 40 or 50 years. So it's, it's been, been used in Europe for decades. It's creeping into the U.S. medical system a little bit now, finally. Now, the, um, um, when you talk about these enzymes and, and the healing effects that they have specifically as we're talking about these systemic enzymes like natokinase and uh, the, uh, the, the serapeptase and, and some of the other ones, um, what would happen if anybody who was sick today, not just not feeling well, would start using enzymes? Would they actually start a healing process or would they enhance what is going on in the body at this point? It's enzymes can do so many things that um, enzymes can do so many things that I I think that anybody anybody could take an enzyme and and benefit from the enzyme. Anybody who is sick, I think, could take an enzyme and realize that their body recovered faster, uh, and hopefully would they then be able to attribute that to the fact that they took the enzymes. Yeah. Um. They they, they do so many different things. If, if you introduce uh, and an enzyme, and maybe we should talk a little bit fundamentally about the different n- the different types of enzymes, not from an aspect of animal vegetable uh, animal or vegetable, but from the fact that the the, the different categories of of enzymes okay and and that that would help us understand a little bit more uh, about their impact in the, in the body and on the body as well yeah um, the The three main categories of enzymes are are proteolytic, which is a term for protein digesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, amylolytic, which is uh, a carbohydrate digesting enzyme, and lipolytic, which is uh, a lipase or fat digesting enzyme. And those three classifications are, are the three main classifications of enzymes. Uh-huh. When we talk about digestive enzymes, obviously it's important to have a, a product or to take a product as a dietary supplement that is pretty well balanced in all three categories because that would allow then the supplement to assist the body with a breakdown of any anything to some degree, anything that someone would try to eat. So you, you would look for a product that has balanced proteo or protein digesting activity or amylolytic or carbohydrate digesting and then again lipolytic or fat digesting properties. When we talk about systemic enzymes, enzymes that people take for to support the natural processes of the body, we look for products that are weighted extremely heavily toward proteins, proteolytic enzyme products. Yeah. And any any strong proteolytic enzyme product that someone might take if they were sick would get into the bloodstream and at a bare minimum it would start to work to clean up the bloodstream to increase blood circulation and blood flow. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the simple things in the bloodstream like the white blood cells and the red blood cells then would also be able to travel through the body faster and perform their jobs quicker. Nutrients could get to through the body faster. Oxygen would be able to get to tissues in the body faster. The uh, the body's basic immune functions would speed up. So at a very simple level, at an initial fundamental level, anybody who took a strong protein-digesting, proteolytic, systemic enzyme product I, I would have to argue would absolutely have to have some benefit that would speed up their healing process. Speed up the healing process, give them better energy, less bloating, less inflammation, etc. 
Uh, absolutely. And and how fast do people in general feel the difference? Will it be uh, white after one meal, or do you say, well, you know, usually with these kind of things, depending on people are dealing with, let's say somebody has had uh, people come in and they say, you know, I I played sports when I was in my teens. I'm in my fifties right now. My joints are just aching. My hip hurts. My uh, my uh, knee hurts. My shoulder hurts. And uh, from some kind of inflammation or breakdown, etc. And when I ask them, well, how long have you been having the pain? And they say, well, for the last 15 years, and I've been going, been taking aspirin every day. I've been taking ibuprofen. I've been getting some shots. At that point, if you were talking to people like that, Ton, what would you say it will take for them to start seeing a difference? How long before they would start seeing a difference if they would just go to enzymes? And I, I'll speak, I'll, I'll answer the question as specifically as possible, but speak a little bit generally because all individuals are different. So absolutely. the results that each individual will see will, will absolutely vary. Yes. But certain things definitely still happen within, within normal ranges. Okay. And uh, you asking somebody who would, walk into your store, for example, yes. h- how long you've had this problem, Yes. That's, that is the best place to start. These are products that, again, they, they are effective because they're working within and with the normal natural mechanisms of the body. Mm-hmm. So the results that they are achieving, they're going to achieve naturally by working with the body. If you take an aspirin, you're going to have pain relief because it, you're introducing a chemical that's that's interrupting a process of the body. I see. These enzymes don't interrupt the process of the body. They support the body. The The key difference with the results is significant to me. Mm-hmm. An aspirin is treating the symptom. It's reducing the pain. It's having probably not, it's probably not having any impact on the cause of the pain. Right. You take a systemic enzyme product, for example, and and you start to improve or you, you feel a reduction in the pain, for example. It, it is not because the product is interrupting the body's processes. It's because the body is working through the processes at an accelerated rate, and the body is then, you're, you're not treating just the symptom. You're actually helping the body get back to normal. And that's a pretty fundamental and key difference. So right. t- taking an aspirin is like putting a Band-Aid on a problem, whereas taking an enzyme is actually is actually helping to correct the problem. I, I, can't, I want to use the word cure, but the FDA gets really upset. So no, it's, it's I actually, understand. I, I it's mean, actually correcting the problem. The actual root of the problem is being corrected. Right. And, and I think what you mentioned in the first hour, you were mentioning that as we are younger, uh, the enzymes are more abundant in our system. Uh, if we were to have a regular diet, a regular healthy diet, hopefully. Uh, but as we age, things are slowing down. So the fact that people, when they got injuries, when they fell down, if they, uh, let's say they've been bicycling or riding and not even, uh, not even competitively, but, you know, recreational. And then all of a sudden they fall down, they hurt themselves. They they had their own pain, but a week later the pain is gone. All of a sudden, 15, 20 years later, that pain starts coming back exactly in the spot where they fell down. Um, what you're saying, what what I picked up from you in the first hour was actually 
this is what's happening in the body as enzymes slow down all of a sudden these pains can come back and uh, because the enzymes are not holding the balance for the system that's that's correct and the, the, the enzymes are no longer able to support the body in the same way right. that, that it once was so now, one thing that they're talking for example the whole hype about glucosamine sulfate for example was something that helps to rebuild uh, cartilage in the body uh, it doesn't work for everybody now does enzymes rebuild something or does enzymes uh, do enzymes uh, help a healing process in another way enzymes I'm, I'm actually a, a, a fairly big fan of uh, glucosamine chondroitin for example with enzyme therapy uh-huh enzymes uh, their biological function in the body is to is to break things down they break down if you introduce a, a a bromelain or propane, again, a proteolytic or protein-digesting enzyme to, uh, to protein, it's going to break the protein down. Uh, as you introduce, uh, again, as, as you introduce these types of things to the body so they can support the normal and natural mechanisms of the body, they still function by breaking things down. They, they achieve results in the body by reducing excess buildups of things in the body that slow the body processes down. It's like over time the body, certain proteins will, will build up in the bloodstream, for example. It's, it's very similar to, a, to a, a dam that would stop a river. And these enzymes are just simply dissolving or breaking the dam, breaking the dam down and allowing the body to function normally again. So they're not... To answer your question, they're not rebuilding per se. They're actually just opening up the pathway so the body can function at its normal levels again. All right. Well, we'll talk more when we come back. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Now, Ton, uh, very, very good stuff that you're explaining to us, uh, especially now since we're slightly moving into these systemic enzymes, of course, without uh, forgetting about the digestive enzymes. I really like the way you explained the, um, the, the different pH levels in the body that activate certain enzymes. So um, the more we are balanced in our pH, the more benefit we're going to get from all the enzymes at the right time. Is that correct? That that is absolutely correct. As a general rule, you can back on the pH scale a little bit. As a general rule, yeah, every enzyme, animal or vegetable, is going to be optimally effective at at, at a neutral pH, which is closer to seven. Yeah, and uh, if I mean recalling that the pH scale goes from two to fourteen, and two is acidic, and fourteen is alkaline, seven is the middle. It's considered neutral. So every enzyme, animal or otherwise is going to be optimally effective at a neutral at a neutral level around seven uh, again to recap quick the animal based enzymes are aren't aren't optimally effective too much outside of neutral seven to eight the other ones are are a much broader range hmm. but yeah go ahead i say but but that i'm sorry but that's that's correct it's try, trying to maintain a a body that is not too acidic would definitely help the whole body processes work better and it would definitely help um, the enzymes function better too. Now, do the enzymes also help in the uh, balancing of our acidity and, uh, in our body or does that primarily come from the food that we eat? Enzymes, I get that question a lot. Enzymes don't play a, a, a significant role at all in maintaining, um, as far as I know, looking at the research that I've read, it, there's, there's nothing that would indicate that enzymes really play a role at all in maintaining uh, a, a neutral pH in the body. 
Uh, it's yeah, it is largely from the, from our diet. pH is is largely controlled by the diet. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's good. And so now, as we talk about different foods, and everybody says automatically, oh, it's got to be uh, salad. You got to eat a lot of raw food because raw foods have a lot of enzymes in it. But is that uh, is that fair to say? I mean, are those indeed the, all the enzymes, the only enzymes that we need, or is it really good for us to 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 take additional enzymes? Well, I, I, there's probably not too many people out there that would that would argue that uh, our our food isn't what it used to be. <clears throat> the soil that we grow our food in, <clears throat> excuse me, the soil that we grow our food in isn't what it used to be. A lot of the nutrients have been depleted over time. Uh, you, you can do research on global over farming as a as a generalized term, and uh, I I I think that the American diet has gotten away from a lot of raw foods, and I think the soil. Uh, is no longer al- allowing people to get some some of the nutritional value out of the food that that we used to get. So, uh, a combination of the American diet being what it is and the, the fact that the food itself isn't what it used to be, I think, uh, really uh, plays a significant role in me me saying that I think everybody should probably take a dietary supplement that has some strong enzyme activity, just again to support the normal and natural mechanisms of the body. Even if somebody isn't trying to address a specific problem, from a preventative maintenance standpoint, they assist the body in so many different fundamental ways that I think that I honestly think that all people should take an enzyme product. Now, when we, um, uh, you know, I, I want to be practical also in this show. Uh, one thing that I, it's, it's good to talk about history. It's good to talk about uh, some of the research about what enzymes do. But I know a lot of listeners want to know what can we do about it. And I, I, you're obviously connected with a company called Generation Plus. There are a lot of different enzyme companies available in the natural food industry where people can get digestive enzymes, systemic enzymes, uh, names such as uh, uh, Wobenzyme, for example, is well known. But there is a difference between what your company does and what is available in the market today. Some of it overlaps, some of it is different. Now, I know that one of the things that you're using in your digestive enzyme is something called fulvic acid. Could you explain to us what is fulvic acid and why would it be beneficial for people to make sure that it's part of your digestive enzyme? Well, fulvic acid, <clears throat> fulvic acid. anybody who's taken a liquid mineral supplement over, over, the, over the years is getting fulvic acid. Liquid mineral products, for example, are generally a combination of fulvic acid and something called humic acid. But full, full, the benefits of fulvic acid <clears throat> have been very well studied for quite a while. Fulvic acid is simply a combination, it's a combination of trace minerals that are derived from plant life. So any mineral that was in a plant that allowed the plant to live and sustain itself is what becomes fulvic acid. I want to, I will reiterate to our listeners, I'm not talking about folic acid, which is a B vitamin that is F-O-L-I-C. This one is fulvic, uh, fulvic acid is F-U-L-V-I-C, F-U-L-V-I-C, fulvic acid. And that's a good point, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that point. A lot of people hear me say fulvic and think folic, so yes. thank you for making that, that point. Um, what is it doing in a digestive enzyme product? Fulvic acid, is, being a trace mineral complex, can do 
anything that the 50 trace minerals in, in the complex can do with, within the body, which is a wide range of things. They, enzymes, again, uh, are something that needs something else to provide a benefit to the body. By themselves, they, they're, they're not going to do anything. They, they cause chemical reactions to occur in the body, and they need something to react with or interact with to produce a result in the body. So fulvic acid being something that contains a bunch of minerals becomes an excellent substance to, to utilize or put into an enzyme formula because it contains all of these minerals. And as you mentioned, magnesium is responsible for three to 400 different uh, enzyme reactions in the body alone. And zinc, I, as I mentioned, zinc is responsible for about another 300 different enzyme reactions in the body alone. Mm. So we use fulvic acid first and foremost with, with our, some of our enzyme formulas because they interact with enzymes. That substance, that combination of of minerals interacts with enzymes so well that it actually enhances the, the natural ability of the enzymes. It, it provides those things that the enzymes need to interact with to produce a result in the body so that, so that the enzymes in the product can work faster uh, within the body to achieve the results that the people are paying for when they buy dietary supplements. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's one thing that fulvic acid can do. Yeah. Uh, Fulvic acid can also get into the lower intestine and, and help to eliminate toxins and waste from the body. Uh, it can it can m- make the pathway through the intestine more easily uh, accessible for nutrients. So it can also actually increase the absorption of nutrients into the bloodstream. So in a in a digestive aid, it's going to help the enzymes function faster to break the food down, and then once the food's broken down, it's going to help the nutrients in the food be more easily absorbed into the body so that people can get more out of our product and more out of the food that they eat. Now, one of the things that um, um, uh, that I run into in a health food store, and I understand from the introduction that I gave about you that you work at a health food store regularly as an educator uh, three weekends out of the month. Uh, but people come in and say, oh, I take flaxseed oil. And then I ask them how much, and they say, well, I'll just take a capsule a day. And then I tell them that nine capsules make up for a tablespoon, and they should take one to two tablespoons a day. They almost fall over uh, because they're in shock. They thought one capsule will do it. It was so much programmed by uh, by our Western medicine uh, with the prescription drugs today that one pill will cure whatever or will help to heal or will reduce pain. Um, we are very much into the one pill fixes all mentality. Um, but when people were to take a digestive enzyme, for example, uh, one that your company provides, what are they looking for on a label? How much fulvic acid do they want to be part of their enzyme? Well, we, we're a company. <laughs> we're going to get into a, a gray area a little bit. We're a company that utilizes uh, proprietary blends. And uh, it's it's not it's simply because the competition is fast and furious, and the industry is changing quickly. Yeah. And we're trying to reduce uh, the ability of our competitors to copy our products. And it, un- unfortunately, as just a natural part of reality, it's it in in this the time that the company's been around, it, it has happened at least twice that I'm aware of. So it's it's something that we we started to do to try to protect our formulas a little bit. Um, we we could get into a discussion a little bit now also about enzyme activities. We, we're not trying to hide any information from anyone. So we put the enzyme activity, although we're not putting the weight of the enzymes, for example, 
onto our labels. We are putting the enzyme activities onto our label, and the enzyme activity then is what what people should look at if they want to compare products or or understand that they can expect certain results from from the, the product. So okay. if you look at our digesticol label, for example, you're going to see after all of the enzyme ingredients, you will see uh, a number, and that number indicates the activity level of each particular enzyme, and that is where the benefit's coming. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm listening to you. Uh, for example... Um, um, actually, as a matter of fact, you and I were talking about it the other day. We 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 were talking about uh, natokinase, I think, and uh, the enzyme. And you your company has a formula for that. And you were telling me indeed about enzyme activity. So where does enzyme activity differ from milligrams, for example? Are you still there? I I think we're lo we're losing you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me now? Can yes. Now? Uh, here, I, I have a, this is a, a kind of a funny example that explains enzyme weight versus enzyme activity, but it makes the whole situation really clear, in a, and it will for the listeners. Um, the benefit, as I, as I stated briefly a second ago, comes from the activity of the enzyme, meaning it comes from the ability of the enzymes to physically do something after they get into the body and the weight of the enzyme isn't necessarily important and it isn't necessarily an indication of what the enzyme is going to do after it gets into the body and my my example that explains this is again it's kind of odd and kind of funny but it makes a lot of sense if you were to hire 10 workers to come and clean your yard and do a bunch of yard work and mow your grass and trim your trees and haul everything away if you were going to hire 10 workers that each weighed 100 pounds to come and do that, you would have 1,000 pounds of workers. Yes. If five of those workers decided to take a nap when they got to your yard, you would have, you would have half, of, half of that 1,000 pounds would be actively doing something to achieve a goal. Yes. That, that is the, so the activity, that, that would be a measurement of the activity of the entire group. So especially if you say uh, the work needs to be done within four hours, these five guys are going to have to work twice as hard, and so there is more activity then. Uh, uh, well, ab absolutely, and but but compare that to a, a group of ten guys who come to work on the yard, yeah. where all ten guys are actually working to clean the yard. Yes. Then that one, the second group of one thousand pounds of workers is going to be twice as active as the first group. Yes. So you could expect the second group to produce results a lot faster because they're they're twice as active. Okay. So how do you increase enzyme activity in a product? Well, in a enzyme, product that is for sale, for example. Enzyme activity it, it, that that's a, that would be a function of the way the raw materials are are okay. actually prepared. Yeah. But the key thing for the listeners to realize. In, in this discussion is that when they are comparing enzyme products or they're looking for an effective enzyme product, they want to start to get away from looking at the weight. I, th I think people are also kind of trained to look at, to look at the weight, meaning uh, 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C is better than 500 milligrams of vitamin C. Correct. With enzymes, that's not the case at all. Uh-huh. Um, 10 milligrams of 
or for example, 40 milligrams uh, or 50 milligrams of our serapeptase, if it's more active than somebody else's 50 milligrams of serapeptase, then they can expect a better result from our serapeptase. Okay. So looking at that, that, that number that we put on our label that has nothing to do with the milligram weight is, is more important and more relevant than looking at, at the weight of the enzyme when they are expecting to see certain results in the body. Yes. Now, the, um, how important is it for a serapeptase to be enterically coated? You mentioned earlier what enteric coated means, that it will make it through the uh, certain acidity in the stomach so that it can uh, really work in another part of the body where it is more necessary. Uh, does a serapeptase need to be enterically coated? We're, we're a company that bases uh, what we do on, on scientific fact, and the scientific basis would say that it's it's not necessary at all for serapeptase to be enterically coated to be effective. All, all of the clinical research that we look at, the, the work that uh, there was a, the, the doctor who actually started this with serapeptase therapeutically, his name was Dr. Hans Napier, and he was in Germany, and uh, there, there simply hasn't been any research that has been completed on serapeptase that has been enterically coated. So we use a serapeptase that's not enterically coated because that is what, uh, you know, that is what science has, has used. Uh, in addition to that, it, again, it's, if we remember the three basic categories of, of enzymes as being animal, vegetable, or bacterial derived, uh, we, we know that the animal-based enzymes are the enzymes that definitely do need an enteric coating, and the non-animal-based enzymes are, are, are the category that are able to survive in a much wider pH range and temperature range. Right. So that, so that as a general rule, they, they do not need an enteric coating to be effective. It's, the, the only enzyme that really need an enteric coating to be effective would be the, those, those three that we mentioned earlier, the trypsin, the chymotrypsin, and the pancreatin. I see. Uh-huh. And, and again, it's simply because if they are outside of the pH range of 7 to 8, they become less effective fairly quickly. And again, the bloodstream is for, for the average adults should be around 7.4. So if you can get them into the bloodstream, they're going to do fine. Yes. Now um, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at uh, some of the ingredients that you have, for example, in the Digesticol, one of the company, one of the products that you carry. Uh, besides the fulvic acid, as you just explained, there is something in that called uh, beta glucanase, uh, cellulase, amylase, alpha galactosidase. Uh, galactosidase. I mean, obviously, a ginger root. Uh, there's a lot of different things in there. Uh, as they go into the body, so each of those will have a different function on a different food or on a different uh, inflammatory problem. Is that how it works? With with digesticol again with di with digestive enzymes, the the thing that I try to help people remember is that they want a product that is an extremely well balanced product with enzymes that have a high level of activity, so that they can. They can buy one product, take that product with their food, whatever that food may be, and and have the product be and and have the product be effective breaking the food down, whatever that food might be. 
So with Digesticol, we we have a product that has 19 different enzymes. Uh Some of those enzymes are going to break down protein. Some of them are going to break down carbohydrates. Some of them are going to break down fats. They'll focus on different things in the body. They'll, They'll work on different types of proteins or different types of carbohydrates or sugars or starches, for example. But we have 19 different enzymes in there to provide an extremely broad range of enzyme activity so that the, the product can break down virtually anything that anyone would try to eat and, and do a good job doing it. And some of the other some of the other things in the product that you mentioned, they're they're in there simply to support and provide an extremely well balanced product. Right. And they help each other too, I guess. Absolutely. And they definitely support each other and provide what's termed as a synergistic effect, meaning the combination of the ingredients would work will work better together than any of the individual ingredients would work by itself. Right, and folic acid, for example. So folic acid can help to make the other enzymes in that in in a formula more active, also. Absolutely. I mean, to to the folic acid will help in what you mentioned earlier, the enzyme activity. Correct. It, it speeds up the ability of the enzymes. To, to react with things, thus providing a result. Uh-huh. It, they, they work, it just helps the enzymes work faster in the body. Now, and, and so, as you mentioned, all the way in the beginning of the, uh, the program, you said that it is probably good since enzymes that you add to, the, to your body uh, live to be about six to eight hours. It's therefore good to always have enzymes uh, either with a meal or between meals. So you take digestive enzymes with a meal, you take uh, uh, systemic enzymes between meals to just keep the enzyme activity going, and people should start seeing results within uh, within uh, within weeks, probably within days and weeks. And uh, and if you give yourself one year, you probably will see a big difference in the way you feel. Yeah, we we can let's touch on that a little bit when we get back. It's 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 uh, the the length of time that people can expect to see results. I that's what I uh, that's what I think would be great advice uh, and great information for the people. Well, thanks for that idea. We will be right back. For the mind, body, and soul. Gesundheit with Jacobus. Well, we have a caller with us. Uh, caller, thank you so much for holding on during the break. Uh, your name, please, and how can we help you? Yeah, good morning. Uh, this is Jim. Hello, Jim. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, give a testimony. I've been taking Nepronol. I don't know if you talked about that. I just turned you on for about a year now um, for inflammation, uh, yeah. arthritic pain, that sort of thing. And the stuff is incredible. It really is fantastic. I I suggest that um, people that are interested in this sort of thing um, to actually take a look at their website and look at the testimonials and uh, the data that's behind it. And I think they would be amazed. It's just incredible what you can do with enzymes, at least this product, in terms of pain and inflammation. I also, I can't think of it, uh, that's Neprinol, and I've also gotten the uh, the one that cleans out the heart, the arteries. I can't remember the name of it right now. Serapeptase or the netokinase? Well, they have, yeah, there you go, netokinase, I guess. They have a, they have a name for it as, uh, you know, Neprinol, and I, I think there's another one, uh, the brand name of the product. Um I think what, what you know the next thing we need to do is develop one uh, that'll clean out the uh, brain so that we can think a little better as we get older. <laughs> Tony, you hearing this? I am. Yeah. Yeah, I um I I just want to put for this next one. I'm getting 
So, in fact, when I have it around the house uh, and people have problems with swollen ankles, they twist an ankle or something, and nothing seems to be working, you know, they take about they take some of these over a period of two days, and and it goes away. They can't believe it. It works wow. so well. So, anyways, uh, I I highly recommend it. Um, it's a great company, and uh, well, thank I, you, I, Jim. Yeah, you guys take care. I have a good program. I'm out on Father's Day here, so I just went in for a break and heard you, so I thought I'd call and give people a heads up on it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate the call. Uh, Ton, you know what he's talking about? I, I do. It's uh Nepal is actually one of our one of our competitors, but yeah. it is it, it is a great it is a great product. And uh the the thing that interested me with his comment was uh the length of time he said it took to see results. And yes. If I heard him correctly, he said uh if he twisted an ankle or something, it he you know, it takes some some of some of these systemic enzymes. And you see some pretty good results in a day or two. Is that is that yeah, what he said? That's what he said. He said I'll take some for a couple of days, and you can definitely see the results. Yeah, feel the and results. That uh, based on um, you know, uh, I guess our conversation from earlier, the, the, how long would it take for somebody to see results? And we never really, never really answered that question. And what he what he mentioned for a twisted ankle and taking a systemic enzyme and seeing results within um. In a couple of days, that that's a pretty fair assessment, and it's it is very normal for somebody who has a, what's termed as an acute inf- inflammation problem. Uh, acute meaning it, it it's not chronic; it hasn't taken years to develop. It it's something that, like he said, if you twist his ankle, or if you uh, you know if you strain your back, for example, trying to lift something, or if you're uh, Doing something sports related, and you have you have an injury. Th- those types of problems that are acute, that don't take long periods of time to develop, those are the types of problems that somebody can generally see results very quickly. And to say that he saw results within a day or two, that that is probably the norm. Yeah. But for for somebody who has say uh, an arthritic problem, rheumatoid arthritis, for example, or osteoarthritis, uh, or or any other type of inflammation-related problem that took years to develop or has had years to develop, <clears throat> those are the people who, who, who could start to take the product and see some result fairly quickly, but, but m- they may not see the result that they were hoping for for m- more in the range of four to six weeks. Yeah. And the thing to remember is that these products, again, they're not pharmaceutical products and they're not forcing a change in the body uh, and they're not just addressing the symptoms. They're working within the normal and natural mechanisms of the body to restore it to its normal function. And uh, if something has taken years to, to develop over time, it's going to take naturally a little more time for them to see a benefit. Yeah, usually you say a month for every year is what I understood. And yeah. I don't know how that works with enzymes, but uh, what they usually say, if you uh, start changing to go back in a healing direction instead of just taking something to numb pain, if you actually start changing diet and lifestyle, and uh, it takes about one month for every year that you have suffered. That's probably a fair, that's probably a fair assessment. I, th- I think that when, with people, if people are taking – and the other thing to mention about enzymes is that – We'll talk about safety a little bit, but they're not toxic. There has never been a, a reported incident of, of any long-term side effect or any side effect at all. Um, 
you're basically putting something into the body that, again, just supports the normal and natural mechanisms of the body. Yeah. So they're very safe. And as a rule, not always can you take more of something and have it be safe. Not always can you take more of something and expect to see a more of a difference as you increase the dose. Yeah. But with enzymes used systemically or even in, in digestion, that that is not the case. You can take more enzymes and expect to see a faster result. And you can increase your enzyme dose and and expect it to still remain completely safe. Yeah. So you can by by putting more of these of these enzymes into your body, you're simply providing more of an opportunity for the body to to have more chemical reactions and and to work through the different processes of the body even faster. So so somebody to, who wanted to to get through a problem faster could could simply take more enzymes. Right, but is it really more enzymes at once, or is it more enzymes throughout the day? It's really more enzymes throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the repetitiveness is more important than the uh, than the big uh, than the big number. Right, and that's that's when we, when we say if you're taking the product for systemic purposes. Uh, three times a day, we always recommend you take the product three times a day and you spread it out. We say take it first thing in the morning because first thing in the morning your stomach is completely empty. It's a great time to take it. Yeah. And then we also say to take them at night before you go to bed Yeah. because most people don't eat a lot of food before they go to bed. And it's another time the stomach's generally pretty empty. And then just one other time throughout the day where the stomach is pretty empty. And uh, again, then if, if the enzymes are optimally effective in the body for six to eight hours, you can cover most of a 24-hour period by taking them three times a day. Yeah. You, you, can, you can still see a result, a good result, if you take them twice a day. Twice a day is definitely better than once a day, but three times a day is the, the, the best bang for your buck if you're taking a systemic enzyme product. Right. Now, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I like to discuss with you is kind of how... Um, um, what these systemic enzymes, for example, can do for the body. Because obviously, to, to make it more clear for the listeners, uh, we can help our muscles, we can help uh, weight, uh, we can help uh, uh, mucus issues, scar tissue problems. Uh, many times, you know, we are so trained as a society to work with pain medication. And I just happened to talk to somebody the other day who is, who is 90 years old and for decades he's been having pain in his shoulder and for decades he has taken pain pills one a day twice a day it started out with aspirin and ibuprofen and tylenol and uh, it moved into the cortisone shots and and now sadly enough the doctors are saying uh, well there's nothing we can do anymore and so he is now in pain that they say the only thing they can do is uh, replace the shoulder but obviously um, uh, there comes a point of age and practicality and you say well is can we really should we really do this now um, when you're looking at these situations, that is one of the things that upsets me so much because I do know that doctors really do the best with what they know. But at the same time, they're somewhat limited in their knowledge. They're very good experts in, in, in certain specifics, but it doesn't mean that they have an overall look at the body. They send you right away to another specialist when they cannot, when they feel that it's out of their realm of knowledge. 
and then they sent you on to another specialist. But sadly enough, if 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 we would just have the Western medical doctors talk more about enzymes and how enzymes can work and work indeed with these with these systemic enzymes, and especially torn because we see that it is this Western scientists, the doctors who have done all this research on these enzymes, but they're just not being promoted in Western medicine today. Well, it depends a little bit again how how Western you get in the in the U.S. It's it's definitely the case in Europe. Again, in Europe, if you were in Europe, you would you could go see a doctor with the type of problem that you just described with the elderly gentleman in his shoulder. And in Europe, it, he might be given enzymes on his first trip into the doctor's office. So it's, well, I I I am from Europe, and uh, I have to tell you that regularly I call my family and. Uh, um, Western medicine is very active in Europe, and and and, yeah. and so absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people who will take pain pills, aspirin, Tylenol, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, like Bayer is from Europe, you know. Right. That's but, what yeah. <laughs> Bayer is a German-based company. It's a German-based company, right. just like Mercedes. And uh, but <laughs> that is that definitely doesn't uh, doesn't always fly. I see your point, and definitely there's a lot of history in Europe as far as natural medicine is concerned. But I have not been in Impressed personally with the treatments, uh, dentists do just like what we do in the United States. Uh, uh, the, the hospitals are very busy with patients. It is not that you'll find a naturopathic doctor or a homeopath on every corner of every street. Uh, there are very few and far in between. And and my my older sister is is also very much into natural health. And when she had some issues going on, and she did her own research. And being in the health field anyway, she would go to the doctor and say, well, don't you think it could be this or this or this? Really more natural approach. And the doctor kind of looked at her and said, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but I thought I was the doctor. You know, and they're, they're really not as receptive as sometimes the American media wants us to believe that everything is honky-dory in China and India and in Europe. Uh, um, I think that they're very westernized uh, in those countries and um, uh, natural medicine, as as far as a business is concerned, it doesn't make them any money to to work with 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 natural medicine. So, um, but I see your point. Yes, the history is in Europe. There's a lot of history in Europe, and uh, but as far as enzymes are concerned, um, I have never heard my mom or my sisters tell me that they're taking enzymes because the doctor told them to do so. That's very interesting. See, I was—I know you mentioned the Wobenzyme product on on this subject briefly. Correct. Yes. It, it was it was the product that was the first product in the world for systemic enzyme therapy. Yes. In 1958, and uh, they—I I know that they registered that product as a pharmaceutical product. Yes. Uh, so at least from maybe I, I made some assumptions, but I, I know from uh, that aspect. I mean, it, it would be impossible for. Uh, a natural product that's an enzyme product in the United States, for example, to get registered as a pharmaceutical product. So, there, so it's, I would say I probably, maybe I made too great of an assumption in uh Thank you for clarifying that. For well, me. it is. You know, I'm not attacking you in any way. I think uh, the information you're giving us is absolutely essential uh, for us to know. On the other hand, I, I see this is so easily done on TV and radio. You say, oh, Europe has been used for 2,000 years. And I'm going right. like, get out of here. You know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, yes, Chinese herbology has been used for 5,000 years. We know that. But it doesn't mean that everybody in China is just using natural methods. I mean, 
let's face it, uh, you know, everybody is catching up with uh, Western medicine and uh, and that has become the number one outlet for many people. But, um, you know, you're talking about Wobenzyme. Wobenzyme is an enzyme that has been around for quite a while. It is not made by your company. You, however, are working with a product that is called Zymetol. And Zymetol is a, a different version of Wobenzyme. Could you please explain to us what are some of the differences um, uh, between the two? Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> um, Wobenzyme, again, great, great product. It's definitely proven itself over time. Over time, that's right. 30, so 40 years. Hard, can't argue with those kind of results. Yes. But it's, it, is, it, is, it was the first product. And um, it, I, one of the things that contributed to its success, I think, was just a lack of competition for a long time. Uh-huh. But it, it is everything... It is everything that, literally everything that they knew about enzymes in 1958. And because it was registered, as we mentioned, as a, as a pharmaceutical product in Germany, it, it was, they weren't allowed to change it after it was registered as a pharmaceutical product. And um, it, ha- it literally hasn't changed uh, since 1958. So what, what Zymetol offers now is uh, a product that can provide the same benefits to the body but it incorporates everything that we know about enzymes today. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's the key difference. We have, for example, one of the main differences, we have an ingredient in uh, Zymetol, called, again, called serapeptase. Serapeptase mm-hmm. was discovered therapeutically, uh, oddly by a German doctor, Hans Napier, in the 1970s, but it was discovered 20 years after Wobenzyme was created, so it would have been impossible to incorporate that particular enzyme into the product. Yes, um, it, it, it's also it's, it's a product that um, incorporates those three animal-based enzymes again: the trypsin, the chymotrypsin, the pancreatin, uh, because that that's all they knew at the time. Uh, and it, it, again, we we stay away from animal-based enzymes simply because they're not optimally effective in a white p in a wide pH range. And body the body pH isn't the same all the time, and the body temperature isn't the same all the time. And so we we. We've just we one of the one of the main differences is we stayed away from those types of things. And uh, another key difference, which we haven't talked about at all yet, would be the use of binders, excipients, and flow agents. And if you look at a nutritional supplement panel uh, on a bottle of product, those are all things that are listed underneath the fact panel as other ingredients. They're right. They're at, at best, their ingredients are are not providing any proven health benefit. Uh, and I, I don't know if there's been any long-term studies so that we can even determine what exactly some of these things do in the body, like methyl cellulose and titanium dioxide and maltodextrin and magnesium stearate. Magnesium stearate. And so Wobenzyme's a tablet, they, and they have a lot of those things in their product, and they, they have to because the tablet has to have some, some way to hold all the ingredients together. Yeah. We use a, a vegetable cellulose capsule so we don't we don't have to have all of these things to hold the material that's providing a proven health benefit together we the capsule does that so we leave all of those things out of our product yeah and i i think that's also a a pretty a pretty substantial difference in in providing a product that people can trust and, and can count on for you know for a long period of time. Now, you have also obviously worked with the enzyme activity, so I take it that in your zymatol that you have indeed uh, a higher activity than what 
was originally taken by, by, by Wobenzheim. Um, but as you say, Wobenzheim has definitely stood the test of time, and uh, it's still around and still works for a lot of people. But one of the things that I observe with it is that they tell you you got to take about nine tablets a day, and that's quite a bit for people. Now, how does it work with Zymatol? How much do you need to take of that a day? Well, if, if you look at the if you look at the the supplement fact panels again on both products, yeah, uh, you'll you'll notice you'll notice a couple things. That particular product has on their supplement fact panel six tablets per serving, and if you add it up, all of just on a milligram weight basis, <clears throat> if you added all those things up, you'd have about eighteen hundred milligrams. Okay. Uh, if you look at the Zymatol supplement fact panel, we have a serving size of three capsules. So we have our serving size is half of their serving size. Uh huh. And if you looked at just the milligram weights, you'd see um, uh, you, you'd see that we have two thousand two hundred sixty-five milligrams of activity. Yes. We're a company that that will never put profit before better health. Um, and we we will use in every case the best enzymes that we can, the enzymes with the highest activities that that we can find, literally, because we want we want a product that people can count on. Yeah. So um, I, and I just lost my train of thought a little bit. So you know that's quite all right because we're actually hitting a break here, and uh, it's probably good to uh, to finish up the last half hour, folks. Stay tuned because we will be right back. Zoom tight with Jacobus. It's all about health matters. What are some of these enzymes? What can they actually do in our body besides they have a lot of different functions, especially when we talk about the systemic enzymes? Absolutely. And they, they again, the classification that is m- most largely providing a result to the body for systemic oral enzymes would be the proteolytic or protein digesting enzymes. So we'll talk about several of those those particular types of enzymes, what they are, what they do in the body. Yeah. Realize that they are all protein. They're all they're all enzymes that provide results by breaking down protein. So their benefits will overlap some. Uh, serapeptases benefits will overlap with natokinases benefits, but but they all work in the body in a, through really specific mechanisms. So what they do well in the body compared to like what serapeptase does well in the body compared to what natokinase does better in the body, it, that's where they will differ slightly. And that's, that's where, where somebody would need to know when they would take serapeptase compared to natokinase, for example. So I'll dive into that one a little bit. And then uh, if, if you have questions, feel free to interrupt me. But yeah. serapeptase, again, it's been around since the 1970s. Natokinase is the newest enzyme on the market that, that I'm aware of, and it's been around since the 1980s. So we can still talk about these enzymes doing certain things because they have been proven over time. Serapeptase has had about 40 clinical studies completed on it. Natokinase has had about 18 clinical studies completed on it. So we can, well, I'm going to talk about some things based on what the clinical studies show. And uh, serapeptase, for example, is an enzyme that's been clinically shown to be effective with three main classifications. Any Pain and inflammation is one of those classifications. So anybody who has has any type of inflammation systemically throughout the entire body uh, could take serapeptase and uh, and I would argue could expect to see results based on scientific research. So pain and inflammation is one category. Circulatory health is another category. 
uh, and it's going to overlap natokinase there. And the third category would be excess mucus in the body. Uh-huh. So if, if you combine excess mucus in the body with, with the ability to assist with normal inflammation levels, you, ha- you have a good answer for some of those things like allergies and asthma uh, and sinus problems. And serapeptase is really unique in, in that it's really the only enzyme that has been shown or proven to be affected with excess mucus in the body. So that's, that's where it's truly unique. If somebody, if somebody has pain and inflammation, they could take serapeptase with other types of enzymes and expect to see pretty good results. But as far as asthma and allergies go, sinus infections, excess mucus in the body, serapeptase is pretty unique in that regard. Hmm. So in the winter, so in the winter time, if somebody comes in and they have a sinus infection, and I would say, why don't you take some serapeptase? And I would say, you know, for one day, why don't you just take serapeptase uh, one capsule every hour uh, or every two hours? Uh, would that overdo it? And would that actually, or would and or would it show quick result within twenty four hours? We, I, I would, I'll say this with our with our product, and I'll be product specific a little bit because it changes the answer. Uh, our product has 400 milligrams of serapeptase per capsule. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, that is beyond, uh, far beyond and above the amount of serapeptase that, that was used daily to show clinical results. Okay. So with the serapeptase product, we encourage people to take one capsule three times a day. Okay. You can certainly take more, but there is so much serapeptase in each of, each of our, each of our capsules. Yeah. That, um, that that one capsule three times a day should be a significant amount. If if I personally if I have sinus problems, I I I may double up. I might take two in the morning. You know, it certainly you could take two in the morning, two in the middle of the afternoon, and two at night. Um, and then and you you probably will see changes within twenty four hours. I I do absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Five eight seven zero one seven one is a number. Caller, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good morning to you. Your name and how can we help you? Good morning, Jacobus. This is Richard. Richard, this is Jacobus. Pleased to hear you this morning, and I want to thank you uh, for the great program. Oh, thank you, Richard. um, Let's see, uh, Tom, for post-operative, post-surgical procedures, where we want to accelerate healing. Now, um, I understand the role that serapeptase could play there. Are there other enzymes that you might recommend? Uh, serapeptase, obviously doing a great job for the, for the inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. Uh, bromelain as another nice addition for post-operative for a couple of reasons. Serapeptase, actually, we haven't mentioned this, also has a decent ability to help prevent the buildup of scar tissue uh-huh. or, or reverse, right. uh, normalize existing scar tissue. So post-op, serapeptase is great. Bromelain is going to do a, 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 actually a really good job uh, assisting with Inflammation, which is a natural part of the repair process, and mm-hmm. keeping the inflammation down is, is going to speed up the ability of the body to recover. Papain for post-op is another great solution because it has, it, it would, it's going to have an ability to digest, uh, digest to prevent the buildup of, of matter that, that is surrounding life tissue and, and, and inhibiting uh, the body from functioning properly. Papain is known, actually the nickname for papain is, is the, uh, the biological scalpel. So just for, for keeping inflammation down, for clearing out, uh, any dead tissue that may be surrounding, uh, uh, the recovery area, mm-hmm. and, uh, for helping to prevent the buildup of scar tissue, bromelain, papain, and serapeptase are actually a really good combination. 
Well, thank you very much. It's uh, certainly appreciated, and uh, thank you for your show today. Oh, you're welcome, Richard. It's been terrific. Thanks for the call. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, you know, I see people regularly coming in and buying uh, a papaya enzyme and the jewel papaya. Um, is that indeed some of the things we're looking at here, the, the regular jewel papaya, or are you talking about a specific papain uh, that needs to be diff- taken differently, more like in a swallowable capsule? Well, here's, here's the difference. Again, we, we talk about digestive versus systemic enzymes, and it, we, we will say they're, they're both papaya, for example. Correct. Uh, papain being that active enzyme. The difference is the enzyme activity, if we get back to that, that, that example. In, uh, in our digesticol product, I was going to look for levels. In our digesticol product, we have 160,000 units of activity per capsule yeah. of papain in yeah. digesticol for digestive purposes. In our Zymatol product, for systemic purposes, instead of 160,000 units of activity, we have 8,442,000 units of activity. Uh-huh. The difference is in, again, it's in the enzyme activity, and it's that, it's that substantial. The difference is that substantial. So it's, yeah. it could be the same enzyme. Um, the other thing, let's, I'm going to change subjects simply because we're running out of time a little bit. I wanted to touch on natokinase, yes. uh, as that's come up a couple times in the past. It's Serapeptase and natokinase are both two enzymes that are really moving to the forefront with, with, with the, the benefits that they can provide. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll mention this for safety and efficacy. Um, enzymes, again, very safe by themselves, non-toxic, no long-term side effects. Uh, as a general rule, anything that you would take with enzymes for systemic purposes are going to are going to work better because you're also taking them with the enzymes. As a rule, for, for safety, so the listeners are aware, as a rule, the only thing that would be a contraindication or the only thing that you should not take with the enzymes that's ever been recorded over time would be a warfarin-based blood thinner or or Coumadin, for example. Uh, and and the problem with that simply lies within the fact that it's going to help the Coumadin work a lot better in the body. Oh, yeah, of course. And the blood can get a little bit too thin. Yes. N- natokinase is substantially different than the other enzymes in that it is the only enzyme that can be taken with warfarin-based blood thinners. And and there's specific reasons for that. But if somebody's on Coumadin and their doctor's telling them to take Coumadin, by all means, adhere to your healthcare professional's advice but if you want to add something natural to to you know to your system, that is when natokinase becomes really the only option for everybody, and and its its main focus is what it does best in the enzyme world anyway is is circulatory health, plaque on the artery walls, high blood pressure, blood clots, all of those issues. So it's it's a pretty significant enzyme for that reason, and it really differentiates itself from every other enzyme. For that reason, but the other enzymes very safe to be used with anything else except warfarin-based blood thinners. Now, obviously, a lot of people are talking about aspirin to take a half an aspirin or a whole aspirin a day because it's good for the heart, is what the doctor has told them. Um, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, I have my own thoughts about that, and I tell people about it. There is indeed so many, there are so many other. Not so many, but there are quite a few solutions, natural solutions out there to 
keep the blood running. And as you mentioned, serapeptase would be one of them, but also the natokinase. We have fish oil, obviously. Um, uh, if people were to take natokinase um, one capsule a day, that would not only help to reduce inflammation, it would also indeed keep the blood running smoothly. Absolutely. There's, if you talk to your doctor, you can talk about a specific protein in the body called fibrinogen. The, the, some doctors will even talk about sticky blood. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, the Sticky blood occurs because there's a certain protein in the bloodstream that that when it gets outside of the normal ranges really makes the blood sticky and slows blood flow and blood circulation down. And Doctors will say, hey, take an aspirin or half an aspirin to help keep the blood going. Yes. These systemic enzymes, again, they're in the broad category of proteolytic or protein digesting enzymes. So if you take... Uh, one of those enzymes, serapeptase, natokinase, um, one of the first things that it does when it enters the bloodstream is begin to work on excess levels of fibrinogen. So it, it, it becomes a great solution to reducing the stickiness in the blood yes. through natural mechanism. Yes. You know, in, in, in the past, I have heard, and I don't know if you have heard that too, but that aspirin and all these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, as we're talking about the Tylenol and the ibuprofens and stuff, uh, that their side effect, one of their side effects is actually a breakdown of cartilage. And I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard this years ago. And I see indeed that many people that take aspirin because they have some kind of a joint pain after a year or more, they have to take more. They have to take twice the amount. Then they're going to have to go to stronger anti-inflammatory drugs. And then eventually they're going to the cortisone shots and, and, and all that stuff until the doctor cannot help them anymore. And they say, we're going to have to replace it. Is this something that you have heard also, or is this uh, is this not true? Uh, I would say it's something I have heard also, and you gave a perfect example earlier of an elderly gentleman with a shoulder problem yes. who was taking aspirin, and over time the aspirin wasn't doing the trick anymore, and he had to go to cortisone, and uh, over time the cortisone wasn't doing the trick necessarily anymore, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Yes, and now uh, he's too old for surgery. Yeah, the other the other crazy thing, these, aspirin, another quick thing that I'll mention as you put these things in your body, they are, there are side effects, and you can certainly introduce certain pharmaceutical, to, pharmaceutical products to your body uh, and expect to have certain things in your body that, that shouldn't be there, and I'll just categorize those things as toxins. And then, then it becomes a function of the liver or the fat tissue to store these toxins or to separate these toxins from the body so, it can continue to, so the body can continue to function in the absence of these things that aren't supposed to be there. And you've mentioned liver a couple times. Yeah. As, as these enzymes enter the bloodstream and circulate through the liver, one thing that they can do is force these toxins out of the liver in an attempt to restore liver function to normal. So uh -huh. as, as people begin to take these types of products, I've said no long-term side effects, no toxicities. One thing that everybody should be aware of is that as they introduce these enzymes to their system, they may experience a detoxification effect. They... And, the most common symptoms of those would be, uh, for lack of a, a, a nicer sounding word, diarrhea. Uh huh. Uh, nausea is rare. Headaches are rare, but they do occur. And occasionally the toxins will attempt to exit the body through the skin and people will have a, a little skin rash. But uh, again, that, that is termed by a lot of people as a, as just part of the healing crisis. It's the body trying to get 
these things out of the system that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yes. And if you are taking an enzyme product and you start to experience any of those four things, realize that the product is working to restore the body to health. Yes. If they make you uncomfortable, you can slow down the intake of the enzymes and it will slow down the rate at which they are cycling through the liver and forcing the toxins out of the liver and the symptoms will, you know, the symptoms should get less severe as you decrease the dose. Yeah. So that, that's another probably pretty important thing to be aware of. If you're taking an enzyme product, that's, that's a great product and you're experiencing these things it simply means the product is working. And and I, I want to say with that also, uh, Ton, that as people go run to a store to get these kind of enzymes, the systemic enzymes, folks, they're not cheap. I'm not saying that they're very expensive, but um, uh, it is an out-of-pocket expense when you get a supplement. Um, when you buy a digestive enzyme, you probably you get anything between, uh, let's say, six ninety-five and twenty bucks. But when you work with systemic enzymes. Most of the time, to get a month's supply, you're looking at 40 plus dollars, uh, sometimes even more. Uh, it just depends on what it is, what it does. So I just want you to be aware of that. But on the other hand, if you say, you know what, I'm worth it and I'll make this work, then if you give yourself a one or two month try and really do these things correctly, the way they're being told or take a little bit more if that's what you like. And as Torn says, if you have a side effect, slow down. But if you give yourself a couple months to try these things, if you're dealing with a certain situation, and let's face it, we're all dealing with stuff. Let's see how this can work for you because that is an important part. If we don't try, we don't know. We cannot always just look at the price tag. And of course, we have to look at the price tag. If we cannot afford it, that's one thing. But give yourself a try and do this for a couple months and see if you can feel better. The bottom line is you won't have any negative side effect. Uh, your body will start feeling better. Your energy will go up. Your inflammation will go down. Your heart will function better. So circulation is better. There will be some detoxification. So in a way, everything is positive. And I, I think indeed that uh, it is good to maybe say a little bit about the price, not that we have, not that everything is very expensive, but Ton, I think that maybe that is one of the things you see also in the health food stores, that people are sometimes shocked that things are more than 10 bucks. Right. And uh, to add to that, you you know, you're entirely correct. So your listeners are aware, natokinase is probably the most expensive enzyme on, on the market. It it's it's one of the best things that somebody could take for circulatory health. Yes. Serapeptase right now, our product, Serolone, specifically, is one of the least expensive systemic enzymes That's on the right. market. It's not that expensive, maybe 15 to $25. Yeah, correct. And and it can do a really good job still yeah. with circulatory health and, and still in Serapeptase, so many other things. And if, if you know, maybe somebody, if somebody really conscious of or not not trying to spend a lot of money start with uh serolone or a serapeptase product all right well we have a caller let's get our caller on before we have to go uh caller thank you good morning your name how can we help you Uh, is there a specific this is vernon is there a specific enzyme that you'd recommend for somebody who's trying to improve a type 2 diabetes situation i'll listen off the air well thanks vernon appreciate that Type two, type two diabetes is, a, is an interesting thing. It's another, it's another um, issue that the medical community hasn't been able to really address well. Uh, there's a lot of research on on enzymes doing a lot to assist the body with that particular issue. Uh, natokinase circulation is a 
is one of the key places to start with that issue. You can add other ingredients to to a formula, antioxidants, for example, that can help. Uh, we, without getting into a detailed conversation about uh, beta receptors, for example, that, that can help the body process uh, sh- sugars better and help the body um, produce then insulin more regularly. But um, natokinase and serapeptase are two really good places to start. Okay. Um, and, and then looking at formulas like natacore, for example, that combine some antioxidants that can do some other things in the body uh, at the same time as, as it's working to improve circulation. So in a way, you use that, uh, you would try it for maybe for a month and then see if you can tell a difference with your, uh, with your uh, insulin levels, levels and, then, and then make adjustments accordingly. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I this has been a lot of information. Uh, really, there is actually so much more that you and I can talk about, Ton. We'll probably have to do this again in the future to go even in more details. But I thank you so much for doing what you're doing, for educating people. And, and, and I want to remind people that you can call Ton at Generation Plus at 877-996-4865, extension 103. Ton, thank you so much and all the best to you. Thank you, Jacobus, and I hope you have a happy Father's Day. Thank you, and you too. Bye-bye. Folks, we will be back next week, Sunday, from 7 to 10 for another edition of Gesundheit with Jacobus. See you then. Keeping a finger on the pulse of health research, this is Gesundheit with Jacobus.